0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And it's a live midweek show. We're going to go live. Might do this on the regular, so keep an eye out for it. Robert, along with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. He's the guy, whichever other direction that is. I'm pointing I don't know which direction I'm pointing to, but uh, between, <laughs> between the two of us, 45 years in journalism, and over 35 years covering Houston sports. And Sean, we've got to start off with the Astros and the loss of Justin Verlander. He signs a two year, $86 million
1: deal with the Mets. Was that too rich for your blood? Too rich for the Houston Astros blood, 100%. You know, it's to me, honestly, it was really never about the money. Um, as long as you had innings incentives um, and a, a, a team friendly option built in with that incentive, Basically, the same deal that he just got off of with the Houston Astros. Uh, the money was just plus like eighteen million AAV. Um, the money, I, who cares? <laughs> it's not our money. And as long as your owner, Jim Crane, in this case, is you know telling you that, hey, we have no problem going into the luxury tax and paying that as long as it, it it's the right decision. Obviously, um, it was not the right feeling, the right decision uh, to bring Justin Verlander back. I got to be honest with you. Look at the last few months, okay? And I'll say few months generally, Robert, because that's when there's really started to be a lot of rumblings like, okay, what's James Click's future here? Um, You know, man, Jim Crane really seems like he's involved. Man, Jeff Bagwell's risen uh, in the ranks. Man, Reggie Jackson, they're really listening to him. All of these things that we've learned over the course of the last few months and really the last four weeks particularly – I'm glad Jim Crane did not bring Justin Verlander back because I think it teaches us maybe to step back ourselves, maybe reinvigorates us and having more confidence in Jim Crane to not be that hasty, meddlesome uh, owner that's just going to throw money at guys. And no matter what the age is, no, like this tells me, like, yes, he's not afraid to spend money. And yes, he's still going to be very calculated, quite to the contrary of the James Click comments when he was in the winter meetings in Las Vegas, who said, yeah, I'm more deliberate. And Jim tends to be the more aggressive style. I'm glad he didn't make this move for that reason. And really, um, if, if it was the innings incentives, the options, whatever the details really that do matter in the contract negotiations, if that didn't fit, then fine. Because I feel really good about the Astros rotation going forward. And the fact, too, that if, in fact, they do incur an injury or two, that Jim Crane is not afraid to pull the trigger on a midseason deal to bolster a rotation if need be.
0: Well, if you're out there watching or listening to us on YouTube, let's hear from you. Give us a question or comment. We want to know what you think about the Verlander deal, even if you're not live. You're watching it later. Give us a comment. Don't forget that this Sunday we're going to have our live Texans postgame show, Texans and Cowboys. And yesterday I posted a live Rockets conversation with my weekly guest, Frank from Rockets Chop Shop. So lots of good stuff. Look for all the live shows under the live tab on our YouTube page or check your favorite podcast app. And Sean, our friend Adam Spillane at Sports Radio 610, I know you've heard of this place, (laughs) said he would have given Verlander the money because he said he's worth it. He's an ace. Well, my response is, Fromber and Javier are the real aces right now because postseason matters. Verlander gave up four or more earned runs in six of his last 12 postseason starts. He only went six innings in four of those 12 starts. But I do agree with one of Adam's points. He said Verlander gave this staff innings, and those innings mattered for this relief core in the postseason. They had gas in the tank, Sean, partially because of JV. Javier, Garcia, Urquidy, or McCullers need to go deeper into games now that Verlander is gone, at least one of those four guys has to do it.
1: You know, knowing Adam, um, his logic is basically what I've broken down, and I've actually not always had, but I've come around to, in the fact that it's not my money. <laughs> it's not our money. So yeah, give him the money. That's that's kind of Adam's philosophy there. But, yeah, no, the point that he does make about uh, Verlander eating the innings and saving the bullpen throughout the regular season and to be quite honest, we were even gritting it out on a couple of postseason starts when he probably could have been pulled earlier than he was, and in some cases maybe should have been. You know, who knows? Um, revision is history. It's a BI, you know. Um, I'll say this, it's never just one thing. Okay, because as good of a point as it is to say that hey, J V gave you X amount of innings, okay, and won X amount of ball games. And this ERA was great, strikeout to walk ratio, all of these things. You know, that there is a, it's not just one thing to be able to go seven innings routinely during the regular season. Yes. Saves your bullpen, but you're also forgetting about, well, the guys in the seventh, eighth or ninth. And in some cases with Verlander, he had about four or five bad starts this regular season. The bullpen had to be used in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. What about those guys? This pitching staff as a whole was tremendously blessed with not having to incur or go through any sort of injury adversities outside of the month or so that Verlander missed, which was, you know, I think more precautionary than anything. And then being without Lance McCullers for the bulk of the season. I mean, that's it. Maybe a little knick-knack here and there, but it was nothing like holy smokes where you were really biting your nails and, you know, sweating it out. That's the other thing is injuries will happen and you can't plan for them, but you have to prepare for them. And so it's not just enough to say that, yeah, you know, look at the guys, Javier and Urquidy and Fromber, all these guys, the rest of the starters, all six of them that we had this year, look what they did. Doesn't mean they're going to do the same thing in 2023. You have to prepare for, you know, worst case scenario. You have to prepare for maybe some regression, maybe a career year type of thing. I don't know. Is that going to be Fraunberg? Is that going to be Christian Javier? Is that going to be the best we ever see of Hunter Brown? Who knows? Um, I I, I think, you know, those are extremes, obviously, but that's kind of the way that I'm looking at it. And um, I, I wrote an article this week, losing JV to the Mets, if it would have been to the Yankees, or if it would have been to the Dodgers, if it would have been to the Red Sox, teams like that, then I would have really questioned life itself. But this one doesn't sting at all for me, not even a little bit. It was, you know, tip your cap, thank you for your service, man. We appreciate it. Two World Series and some of the most tremendous pitching and team leadership and grit that we've ever seen in Houston baseball. Um, that, 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 that's kind of what I took away from it. And so I, I'm feeling really good about where the Astros are at going forward without him.
0: Baseball, to me, it's about don't put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, I've watched too many teams do that. Forty million dollars is a lot of money for one guy for a guy that's 40 years old, who has a recent history of injuries. And I know what he did and I know he had an incredible year and all of that, but it's just like that money. If something goes wrong, you've got $40 million that you didn't spend that you could spend on something at the trade deadline. If somebody gets injured, like you said, John.
1: Yeah. And you know, I go, I go, you can go two ways here. It depends on how you look at it. Right. Robert, million ain't what it used to be. Look at the market for Aaron Judge. You know, the Yankees last year offered him eight years, $230 million. And after having a career year and breaking one of the more hallowed New York Yankee records, never mind an American League record, nobody gave a rip about that. It was a a Yankee home run record, 61 asterisk, and he broke that thing. Career year, and he got a hundred and thirty million dollar raise and an offer from the Yankees. And oh, by the way, the Padres probably helped the Yankees out a little bit. And old Knucklehead spilling the beans about Judge going to the Giants or it was the Giants rather? And then the Padres swoop in, make this offer, and then Hal says, "Oh yeah, what do you think about an extra year on the contract and uh, uh, an extra hundred and thirty million dollars from what I initially offered you? How's that taste?" So forty million ain't what it used to be, but then two, you're absolutely right. If in fact, yes, Verlander or anybody that's you know playing for that amount of money gets injured or underperforms, boy, you don't feel good at all about that forty million. And it's a similar conversation, right, that we had just over the within the last week with the Jose Abreu signing, giving him an AAV of nearly twenty million uh, during the life of this contract with the Astros. All right, I don't believe all the numbers uh, say that he's going to have this massive decline but the fear is is like holy smokes you know he is up in age even just a couple of years younger than Yuli. what if he really falls off a cliff like Yuli did just months after winning a batting title That that's a concern but that's a roll of the dice and guess what this team has been rolling in the money like Donald Duck uh you know the last six years I mean or it's not Donald yeah, Duck. It, it's, it's really not about rich.
0: the fact that people get caught up in it's rolling in the money it's not necessarily about rolling in the money because you 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 still have some sort of budget you know it's still a thing in baseball and you like and at the nfl you go oh we're rolling in the money let's just spend 50 million dollars on this quarterback and 50 million dollars on the-. you can't do that and you get yourself trapped if st- if guys start getting hurt if stuff starts to go wrong and you said the money is not what it used to be look aaron judge Is making $36 million a year because he hit 62 home runs and because he's 30 years old and he's doing it for the next nine years. And I still think that contract is stupid because you're going to be paying him in those last three or four years and he is not going to be hitting 60 home runs when he's 37, 38,
1: and 39. Sorry. What did I tell you Uh, weeks ago? The Astros are going to – they're so damn good, okay? And they, they were so, you know, fortunate to get these team-friendly contracts with the likes of Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman uh, in particular. And to be honest with you, Yuli Gurriel and Michael Brantley, those are really sweet contracts for, I think, the level of production that they gave you when they were on the field and healthy, wink, Michael Brantley. Uh, But they've gotten a lot of those kind of performances from some guys that, you know, you could make the argument they would have gotten a lot more money elsewhere. They're so damn good, Robert. They're going to make teams do some really stupid things. Look at Trey Turner signing for the Philadelphia Phillies for Get eleven years, three hundred million dollars. Stop it already! Like, are you kidding me? Look what the Phillies are doing. Look at what the Yankees are doing. Look at what the dot the Padres. The Padres. Where did all this money come from? The Padres. This clearly means they can afford uh, to throw crazy money at Carlos Correa now if they if they so choose or any team that was in an Aaron Judge deal. Look what this does to them, and it bolts up the market. Like, it's it's crazy. The
0: Astros haven't made anybody do stupid stuff. They're going to do stupid stuff without the Astros. We've seen it for years and years and years. Yeah, this is, yeah.
1: You're trying to catch one.
0: This is sports. This is baseball. We, we've seen it before. Um, let me ask you, because uh, I, I think there, there was a thing that got brought up. Should Verlander's jersey be retired at minute made? Before you answer that question, just give you his final numbers as an astro 102 starts uh, 61 and 19 with a 226 era 0.83 whip two cy young awards one cy young runner-up one 300 strikeout season an alcs mvp a no hitter and two titles yada 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 what happened
1: <laughs> hey uh, i used to be a i used to be a numbers guy like in regards to like player jerseys what number was Verlander? refresh my memory
0: Oh, I, I, I don't remember the jerseys at all. I don't remember the jersey numbers at all. All right.
1: So there's there's point number one, like, okay, who kinda whatever, Jersey and the rafters. It's not what it used to be. Um, it's kind of a cool deal. You know, the Yankees, they do the numbers, they do the monuments and their, you know, yard out in the outfield. Um, Boston's really iconic with their numbers, you know, on the uh left field facade or the right field facade rather. Um, yeah, it would be cool. But it would have to be kind of like a historic thing within the Astros organization, correct? Like he would have played like the least amount of games for the least amount of years to have his jersey number retired in the rafters. Granted, the resume speaks for itself. Like, huh. yeah, <laughs> you know, what, would you? Why not do it? Hell, put a statue. Like they got the statue of I think Biggio and Bagwell out. In front of the ballpark, like make a little pitcher's mound and put JV on there. Give him a statue, do the jersey. I don't care. But yes, the guy should be memorialized. Is that the word? Can you be memorialized if you're living? Honored. Um, but one way or another, if you're the Houston Astros, because I think back to 2017, before he was a Houston Astro, the city was distraught and brokenhearted, you know, with Hurricane Harvey just ravaging the area and it wasn't just that but the team needed a spark the team needed another pitcher and i think it was dallas keichel who really you know was the most vocal at that point in time where you could just hear the just disappointment in his voice And the mood just emanated from that clubhouse that they needed something. And Jim Crane had a pulse. And yes, in large part, it was made about, like, he's doing this for the city, you know, to kind of reinvigorate, you know, the city of Houston after, um, you know, such uh, tragic natural events, you know, with the hurricane. It did that. And sure, you could make it about that. But what that ended up meaning for the city, like putting people back in the seats and giving them something to cheer about and the Astros doing what they were doing. And he was kind of one of the guys that became the face of that run, along with Altuve and Springer and so many other guys like that was a special time. That is Houston history. He was a part of the first World Series championship in this city's history that has to be remembered. And it has to be more than just, you know, a golden aluminum banner. Um, you know, in left center field, I absolutely think they they could do it. Should they do it? Absolutely. If they decided not to do it, but put a statue of him outside of the uh, stadium, I'm fine with that, too.
0: Well, and he can be in the Astros Hall of Fame, which is something that we didn't have a few years ago. So and that's he a he will. Good thing. Yeah, he will. And, and I saw you post something about which Houston players were the saddest or were people the saddest to see leave Houston. And for me, this was an easy one. It was Nolan followed by... Springer, because both were still great players, and they were two of my favorites. Akeem, Earl, Andre Johnson, J.J. Watt, Moses Malone, they were all past their prime when they left, so you, you just felt like they weren't the same guy that you saw when they were in their prime, and guys like Beltron, Garrett Cole, Verlander, actually, they never quite felt like ours anyway. Correa hurt a little, but I was braced for it. Yeah, but you remember
1: how mad people were when Beltron left and signed that big deal with the Mets. You know, like people around here wanted him bad. They felt like, you know, he could have been, A, if not the missing piece. I w- yeah,
0: know. but they were more mad not because you were missing this guy that, oh, he's Houston. They were just mad because, oh, he could help
1: us win it. <laughs> he, he was great in the playoffs. Wow. And you went, to the, you went to the World Series anyway the next year without him. But, you know, how weak hitting that team uh, turned out to be in the series against those White Sox. He would have helped. <laughs> he would, you know, you never know. He would have helped. Maybe he would have helped. You, know, you, you never know. But it's funny. You just kind of made me think of something. The way that people talk about this ALCS uh, between the Astros and the Yankees this past season, it's like, man, you know, we really gave it to the Yankees, man. We really let them have it. You know, they're trash. The People people are saying the same thing about that 2005 World Series, and they've been doing it for, you know, 20-some-odd years. And I just, I never, for almost 20 years, I, I never felt that way. Like, every single one of those games felt way closer than the outcome. And I think the largest outcome in that series was, like, four runs. Maybe it was, like, a 5-1 uh, victory for the White Sox or something like that. But, you know, I, I, I always thought about that, and I kind of applied that same emotion and thought process to this ALCS between the Astros and Yankees. It was like, those were hard games to win. It doesn't matter, you know, that, you know, you blew right through them. They were tough. You were on the edge of your seat every single night. And you were just hoping like, man, please make this pitch, Ryan Presley. Please make this pitch, uh, Abreu. Please get to the seventh inning, you know, Javier. Whoever it was. You didn't want Judge to come up, or you didn't want you know Stanton to come up, or whoever um, who was a really good leadoff hitter for not the leadoff hitter, but maybe the two hitter for them that was just like crushing it all series. You just didn't want those guys to come up, and you were one pitch away or one bat, at bat away from from that happening. So that's
0: baseball. That's baseball. Yeah, I baseball. mean, it, I mean, who cares? It's it's baseball, and and it, I, the people were. Excited about the Yankees because the Yankees fans and they, and they talk trash and, you know, all, all of the history between the Yankees and the Astros, If that's why they cared. But I want to ask you also, the Astros pursued Wilson Contreras, but he side with the Cardinals today. They pursued him despite Dusty Baker, Dusty Nixing the midseason deal. He was asked about that and said, quote, it's not that I didn't want him at the time. I didn't think it was the proper fit with two months to go in the season. You have to learn the pitching staff how we go about doing things. I didn't feel like there was enough time to do that. Sean, maybe we
1: underestimate how long it takes to learn a pitching staff. I I don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, those are all good points. I mean, 100%, they were all excellent points by Dusty Baker. What I was more surprised at in him giving those explanations during the winter meetings the other day was the fact that When that deal did not go down, when the Astros were making their run in the World Series, and maybe it was like right after the World Series where that story had come out by Jeff Passon or one of the baseball writers, whoever it was that had it initially, the report was that, yes, all of that too, but Dusty Baker did not want Contreras with the Astros because it was a contract year and he was going to want to play every day. And he didn't maybe feel like, a guy in that position was going to be what this team needed from a distraction standpoint right and somebody that they're tailoring things to for one guy
0: yeah well well vasquez was a vasquez was under contract for uh two more months too and he was a starter so I just feel like there must have been a difference in what they thought was the personalities of the two guys. And yes, who that, to...
1: isn't that a part of the personality? Like, contract you or not, like, you're an individual. You're going to a new team. You've got to understand the situation. Like, you're going from a middling team to a World Series contender. And if you don't think that individual has the character, the mentality, the attitude to accept a different role, then, sorry, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Quite similarly... To what everybody's kind of making about, um, and I, this is 2022, I guess we better get used to it by now, what well, people are making out about the uh, Instagram post from Martin Maldonado the other day. Um, okay, is he not happy with his assumed role if, in fact, the Astros do land a Sean Murphy or if they do, if they would have gotten a Contreras or somebody like that, where he's going to be relegated to maybe playing once or twice a week, you know, in a backup role? Guess what?
0: It turns out that major league players don't like to be benched, and it doesn't matter who it is. And if Dusty had gotten Johnny Bench in a trade two months to go into the season, you'd go, you know what? Johnny Bench, I think he can figure out the pitching staff in a couple of months. I think we'll be okay. What's Johnny
1: Bench? Wilson Contreras isn't exactly Johnny Bench or Yogi Berra or even Martin Maldonado behind home plate. He's a plus hitting catcher. That's it. And Dusty Baker said it numerous times this season that we pay Martin Maldonado to catch and handle a pitching staff. Our lineup is so good, we don't really need him to hit, which brings me to my point and my question to you. Why isn't it good enough all of a sudden now? Now that you've improved first base and even if center field stays status quo, you're going to, I don't know how yet, but you're going to improve left field. Okay? And the DH role and how Jordan fits into all that that's going to be improved on paper so why now is it this big rush where the Houston Astros are being um you know attached to all of these different catchers would I love them absolutely would I like to not see Martin Maldonado hit 156 for the bulk of a regular season yes would I like him to be more productive at the plate in a postseason absolutely but they won a world series without him doing all of those things. And I don't want there to be a trickle down effect to where you possibly lose Michael Brantley. You lose Yuli Gurriel. um, Maybe you lose Martin Maldonado because he isn't just going to be happy in his new role. Um, You're maybe you lose a lot of the glue guys, a lot of the guys that really made up a, a good portion of character and grit of this locker room that has really helped the wheels continue to go round over the last six years and give you two world series
0: father time moves on you got to find guys that have grit that you know play behind those guys and you got to hope somebody like a Jeremy pena takes over more of a leadership role this year obviously you know he did it in the clutch but he's going to be required to be more of a leader this year than he was last year and keep in mind Last year, he was the same age. Let me keep, remind everybody, he was the same age as Carlos Correa was two years ago when he was yelling at Fromber and pumping him up on the mound in the playoffs. And everybody was talking about what a great leader Carlos Correa was. So keep that in mind. Contreras, by the way, just so everybody, if you haven't heard, five years, $87 million, 17 per year, too much for a 30-year-old catcher, in my opinion. No thanks, no thanks.
1: Yeah, and what, is quite possibly a career year for, as you said, a 30-year-old catcher. Like, you talk about uh, expecting a decline. I mean, it seems very natural. Now, what's interesting about that is him going to the St. Louis Cardinals, which that staff, that team, that organization is very used to, and rightfully so, having absolute greatness behind the plate. And one of the most incredible defensive catchers that, Um, you'll have ever seen being replaced by a guy who prior to this last year was not just not known for being a good defensive catcher but for being one of the worst in baseball could hit but how much of a emphasis is going to be put on Contreras to really uh, improving what he does behind the plate defensively and calling game handling his staff I think that's going to be interesting to, to kind of follow his production uh, next year in St. Louis. I mean, it, it's impossible to expect a, a guy like that who's a really good ball player and proven as such since he's been in the league, but to replace a, a future Hall of Famer. Um, that's, <laughs> you know, that's that, that you never ask that of anybody, but there is a demand um, behind the dish within that organization of having a plus defensive catcher. It's been that way um, for a long time, probably 20 some odd years. If you look back, um, who was the catcher before? Dude, I, I, I do not have that good
0: of a memory. I'm was sorry. It
1: Matheny? Was it Matheny?
0: Matheny sounds about right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he was, he was there for a, a long time. And before him, I think they had a really good one and the name escapes me. It's just, it's kind of been that way. And, you know, just look at the Astros. They expect a certain kind of thing and you get used to a certain kind of thing. Um, at a particular position or just the expectation of one of your leaders or higher paid players.
0: Yeah. And I, I just could care less about the Cardinals because it's poor people problems. We're rich people. I don't know if you realize that, Sean, but we're rich people. I am not
1: ever going to take that for granted or take advantage of that in any way, shape, or form because I remember all too well. Sitting at home trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do because I can't watch my Astros whether or not they're losing a hundred plus ball games a year to save my life. Like I, uh, I'm relishing every pitch literally uh, with this uh, organization now, and I'll never take it for granted again.
0: Well, we do have poor people here in Houston, and they're called the Texans. And you've been holed up over at NRG Stadium. I assume you heard the reaction. When Davis Mills was named starting
1: quarterback, again, not a tremendous surprise, but what, what did you think about that? Well, the surprise was how well Lovey Smith handled the announcement. Um, I just couldn't figure out why the hell he didn't do it last week. And, you know, I, I really wanted to ask a question today, but I could not for the second straight day. <laughs> or twice in 3 days whatever it's been cuz I wanted to do the same thing on Monday when he was at the podium but I can't find out a way to ask these questions without me sounding like a jerk you know I sometimes I I, I think I just have that that sound in my voice or maybe the expression on my face where I'm going to come across as a real jerk I wanted to know from Lovey and I think I internally I I know the answer myself but I it's one of those things like it has to be asked what happened to the competitive advantage? Why are you naming Davis Mills the starter in the middle of a week now when two weeks ago you refused to name Kyle Allen the starter? For your explanation, it was going to be a competitive advantage for the Miami Dolphins. Why isn't it a competitive advantage for the Dallas Cowboys? Is it because they just put 50 points on the board and it's not really going to make a hill of beans whether or not you name uh, you know, Tom Dicker Harry the starter versus you know, Davis Mills on Wednesday? Like, I really think the answer is that, hey, it was a botched job. This is what coaches say when teams are relevant, and we're not going to acknowledge the fact that we're irrelevant because we're trying to keep a locker room. And I made the change initially because the locker room basically told me to make a change by the way that they're playing, the way that they're acting. That's why the word spark is used ever because the team needs it it feels it it's telling you that the incumbent is not good that we stink and we need to make a change any change was it time for another one yeah because kyle allen unfortunately i like him as a person but he was just that embarrassingly bad quarterback sneak fumble he fumbled again through two interceptions One of them to the Tegan Quatoriano, which, you know, dumb luck. Same way you can excuse the first two picks of the season by Davis Mills. You know, the tip balls in the end zone. I get that stuff. Sometimes those things can be explained away. But it's also a route concept that was freaking stupid. And again, Pep Hamilton should not go unnoticed, untalked about, um, disregarded. This... Falls on him, and I would not be surprised to see if this is the very last time in his career, and whatever it may turn out to be for him in any league, the last time that he's calling plays for any team, at least in the NFL.
0: You probably say whatever you want to to him um, at this point because he might be dead man walking. There might you might only have three or four weeks to say anything to him, John. Yeah, I guess
1: I could. I guess I could. You're right, but it's also, you know, the uh, the public relations staff. As I am planning, will be there a lot longer than Lovey Smith, and you know whoever the new coach is, I'm still going to have to uh, try to get a word in edgewise with the current PR staff in years to come. I'm assuming, so I don't know. And you know, I don't if, if he if he's fired tomorrow, it didn't matter. It's just like I do always want to come across as respectful as possible, and um, for a guy that is self proclaimed dumb as rocks. I don't want to come across as like, hey, I know more than you. And that's exactly how I think Lovey Smith tends to look at members of the media, um, you know, this season. That you either think you know more than I do and you don't and you're stupid um, or, you know, I'm just going to be the Mr. Tough Chicago guy that I have been able to kind of rely upon and hang my hat upon over the last 15 years.
0: I'm just going to quit on coaches ever doing anything that would require any sort of common sense in any of press conference or just, you know, I mean, just tell us like, Hey, you, you see what these two quarterbacks are that I got.
1: What do you want me to do? I'm doing the best I can up of here. That's- I, I do wish, I do wish Robert, there was an, a little bit of an element because I think the look in itself from Lovey could pull it off. I wish there was a little bit of Jim Moore in him, you know, especially in this particular type of season in the situation that he, at least somewhat knowingly, undertook, you know, hey, exactly what you said. We're terrible. We stink. Playoffs? What? We're just trying to win a game. And in this case, for love, it would be winning a game. We're just trying to get, you know, 100 yards in the first half. I mean, they put up negative five yards in a game in the first half at one point this season and followed up with 35. I mean, every week in the first half, it is kind of like, ugh. And you know what? Let's not pretend like Gary Kubiak's offense was this explosive machine because one of the biggest criticisms during Gary Kubiak's time here when he had Matt Schaub and Andre Johnson, all these guys, you started slow in the first half. It wasn't anything exciting. You never threw deep to Dre. He was never on the field in red zone situations. And if he was, you wouldn't throw it to him in the end zone. How the hell that guy ever scored as many touchdowns as he did is beyond me. And it's really because of all the yak that he you know, piled up over the years. I mean, go look at his numbers. I mean, he had plenty of 50-plus yard catches for touchdowns. I mean, I guess that's how you'd have to do is throw it in space. But, I mean, let's just not pretend or kid ourselves that we're not used to seeing this. And I cannot wait for a young, bright offensive mind to come in as an offensive coordinator at the very least, maybe even a head coach with the number one overall draft pick, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, and get this thing going.
0: One of the many things that stinks about the Texans being awful this year is Happening this Sunday, you only get the Texans Cowboys rivalry game once every four years. I'm guessing NRG might be 80 percent Cowboys fans on Sunday, if not more. In, oh, it's up
1: in Dallas, it's in Dallas, it's oh, not in-
0: oh, it's oh, that's right, it's in Dallas, but yeah, yeah if it was down here, it would be about 80 percent. But you only get this rivalry, you know, once every four years. And I had Seth Payne on the show a few years ago and I asked him about that Texans win over the Cowboys in the Texans' very first game 20 years ago now, I 19 to believe. 10. 19 to 10. Yep. 19 to
1: 10. Why the hell do I remember that?
0: (laughs) I'm going to ask you about it in a second, but let's do a quick uh, Houston sports talk flashback and see what Seth Payne had to say when I was talking to him about that. Is your team's win against the Cowboys in game one, still the franchise's most memorable win? I I don't think so. I mean, those play uh, the first playoff victory, especially, I mean, I even, I wasn't there for it. I was watching in a, in a small bar, Outside of only in New York, when they uh, when uh, when JJ had that huge play in that game, and uh, and that might be my most exciting memory in in in, uh, in in Texans history. So I I don't I think it was the biggest one for the first five or six or seven years until they started to have that success again. But it's definitely I, I think from emotionally, and I know just from talking to a lot of the Texans fans, especially the ones that have had season tickets from, since the very beginning. I know I know how big and how momentous it was for people that had really missed football for all those years. Sean, I I say beating the Bengals in a playoff game. It's hard for me to have real emotions and feelings about that. But beating the Cowboys on the first game when you're, you know, just an expansion franchise. To me, that's still the biggest win. I mean, until they can, you know, do something really, they'd have to do it in the playoffs, I would think, but do something really extraordinary in the playoffs. Perhaps an AFC championship game for the first time since 1979, 80 or something like that. But that that win against the Cowboys is for me the most memorable.
1: It's the most memorable, I, I think probably for most people. Um and I, I say that because even in the years in which the Texans, you know, were winning the AFC South and going to the playoffs. I mean, they weren't among the very best teams in the NFL, but maybe maybe twice you could say they were amongst the very best teams in the NFL. and even then they were probably you know the eighth best team in the playoffs, right um, And so for that reason, like yes, I agree with you that 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 game of its inception, the win against the Cowboys is probably the most memorable. Because really, you know, when does this organization stop feeling so young relative to the rest of the league, right? I mean, they're not 25 years old yet. Um, and when you talk about some of the other, um, like, armpits of the league, you know, it was Cleveland for so many years. Um, it was Miami for so many years as well. Kansas City before they had Patrick Mahomes, you know, like you had yeah, Joe Montana sprinkled in a little bit, you know, and they kicked the Oilers butts back in the early nineties. But you know the teams, the Raiders, I mean, God bless, they stunk for so long. Um, the Seahawks, it, you could go on down the line, but these are all teams that had a a rich history in their original cities, at the very least, you know, at least when you talk about the Raiders and such. But I can't think of a particular playoff game aside from yeah, maybe maybe the Bengals, I, I guess. And I guarantee you if they would have won this game, we'd be talking about it more and it'd probably go down as the most memorable. But if TJ Yates beats the Ravens that year in the playoffs, um, that probably goes down at that point in time as the most memorable win.
0: Yeah. There, there could be a lot of ifs with the Texans and in, in playoff games. So, but I, I just, to me, like beating the Bengals in the playoffs was not a momentous thing back then because the, Bengals would go out in the first round or they would make the
1: playoffs. Yeah, but it was how they did it. You know, and Seth made a good point. You know, the, the iconic JJ play, you know, um, it's be, in, all right. It's one play within a singular game, that, but it was the playoffs. And, you know, as we know, anything can happen in the playoffs. It was just, unfortunately, the Texans were not built um, or had the uh, fortitude physically and mentally really to uh, ever do do those things, make that statement true enough here in the city of Houston.
0: What do you remember about that first Cowboys game? Were you there? Or were you watching on TV?
1: I, I was not there. Uh, my first Texan game was actually a preseason game, and I want to say it was against the Dolphins that year. It was, their, it was the first home game. So I went to the first home game at NRG, not the first regular season game. Uh, but I, I did watch it, and I, I remember – I remember just, we had the TV blaring in my grandfather's living room. I was watching it with uh my grandmother, my grandfather. I just remember see, looking at how cool the field looked. Like the game stayed smoky all night long because of the fireworks from the pregame or whatever they had, had blasted off there. And I just remember that. I remember Billy Miller, you know, reaching into the end zone and scoring that touchdown you know you'd still see the fog the smoke in the air like that was just really really cool and I, you know watching on tv I was like man how could a stadium ever be louder than that there's 70 72,000 people they're just screaming their lungs out and then I went to a Texans and Jacksonville Jaguars game in which I want to say it was David Carr over the right corner of the end zone, south end zone, jumped over the right pylon, scored a touchdown in overtime or at the end of regulation to beat the Jaguars. I was sitting club level that game. That was the loudest still to this day I've ever heard any sports arena in my life. That place exploded. And that was, that was a really cool memory for me, uh, even though it seems like it is a little bit shaky because I, I think it was David Carr. I know it was the Jags, and um, that that was an awesome moment. Other one would have been if the Texans would have beaten the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football, but I think they gave up a uh, kick return touchdown uh, that blew that in uh, overtime. Or oh, in, we
0: could go with so many ifs of oh, what if they beat the Chiefs in the
1: playoffs when they're up twenty? Po- I mean, there's so many ifs with the Texans. Oh my god. Of goodness. course, That's co- of course, there's a you know some teams, some organizations don't have those ifs. Um, or at least the ifs are a lot bigger. You know, the Texans have had their opportunities. They've had their moments uh, to really ingratiate um, themselves to the city of Houston um, long before the Astros obviously did with this recent run. And they'll do that. They will do that one day. Is it going to be with Nick Casario as general manager? I think that is the million-dollar question. Is he going to be fired at the end of the year? Absolutely no. I think any conversation as such is ridiculous at this point in time. It's hard for people to see the forest through the trees. Um, but this is his project. What are you going to do? Pay him, um, you know, his millions of dollars for four years to not be the general manager of this team? Like you're paying David Cully $21 million over the next three to not coach football anymore? Like you're paying Bill O'Brien? you know, his money to not coach anymore. Like, you're paying so many guys. It's not going to happen. This is his plan. Hadn't looked exactly like Cal was sold that it was going to look. But he's definitely going to give Casario his time, especially coming off of this past year's draft and with the draft capital that they have in 23 and see what he can do with it.
0: Yeah, go check our last live postgame show with the Texans and the Browns because we get into in-depth a little bit about Nick Casario and, you know, if he should be around next year and all that, I I just, I'm going to put up uh, I think I didn't know. actually, I just did put up a clip. So it should be up there on YouTube about uh, that whole conversation of Casario because somebody did ask us about that in the last Texans post game. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us. We're going to do that Texans Cowboys post game. Hopefully this thing can stay close. Last I checked, Sean, the Texans had a 17 point, uh disadvantage in the uh in the betting
1: it's the biggest line in the nfl this season and the second biggest against the texans which previously was 13 and last year i think they had a line bigger than 17 about three different occasions and both of them covered it was the bills and cardinals i believe that blew the brakes off of them last year
0: yep i was going to point out yes it is the biggest line in the nfl this year the texans and the cowboys for this game and like i said it sucks that it means nothing and There isn't like a bunch of Texans fans that are are wanting to go up to Dallas to be at the game like they do every single time that the Texans play the Cowboys in Dallas and, and have done over the years. That part is really something that's missing from the rivalry at this point. And, you know, hopefully the Texans will be worth a darn in four years when they play each other again. But, Sean, thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you again on Sunday.
1: Absolutely. listening to houston sports talk
0: hey you can support the show by subscribing on youtube and commenting on the videos listen to houston sports talk on spotify apple stitcher and google don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media spread the word everybody thanks for listening